0: the Screamcast episode 108. I am Sean DeRager and with me is BJ Colangelo.
1: I'm back I'm back I'm back again. (laughs) I'm singing only because I know it makes Brad uncomfortable and mad.
0: And with us of course is uh, Brad Henderson. Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Sorry about the uh, the no show last week. Last week was a shit. Last week was just a shit, a ball of shit of a week.
1: Agreed.
0: Uh, so we just took a break,
1: just like rolled up like the ball just, that Icarus tried to to push, like that, that kind of shit.
0: Yeah, totally. Just a rough peanut filled shit.
1: Damn, it
0: was <laughs> last week. <laughs>
1: you You need more fiber in your diet.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, thank you guys for, for being patient. Um, we're, we're gonna be recording another, uh, another episode. We're gonna be doing a, uh, Vinegar Syndrome episode. Early, it'll be posted early next week. Um, uh, hopefully Monday. I should be able to edit over the weekend. So, look forward to that. But today we're gonna be talking, uh, some James Wan and, uh, some Conjuring too, Cause, uh, we all saw it. We all saw the same theatrical film the same week.
1: Which has, I don't think, uh, happened yet.
0: I don't think so. (laughs) So we'll be talking about that, but first, let's find out what's on a doorstep.
2: Okay.
3: (laughs) Holy cow. I almost forgot. We'll get the door.
1: (laughs) I will go first because it's incredibly boring. Um, so I think the last time I talked, I had just moved. Well, here's a fun fact. When you have moved and you own the 13 totes of movies like I do, you can't exactly put those up until you have a couch placed because that determines where your bookshelves go. So I've acquired a shitload of movies. I have watched nothing. I have watched (laughs) Netflix. So the only movies that I've watched were things that I found on Netflix. So I checked out Ava's Possessions, which is one that I had uh, seen before, but it was nice to revisit. Um, I think that it's it's a fun little movie on Netflix. I think that it suffers from having way too many storylines going on at the same time, but I think that the concept is really cool. I think the lighting um, is very interesting and not what is – really being done by a lot of indie people it's got kind of that you know the harsh pink and blue tones um that you don't really see done often um unless you're nicholas winding and then you see it all over the time (laughs) or all over the place um but you know it's it's a fun it's a fun movie but not something that i'm gonna be like if you want to watch a really good possession movie watch ava's possessions because i don't think that it's that great it's billed as like a horror comedy, but I don't think that it's particularly that funny, which is a problem. But
4: because
2: its premise is funny, That's right? The, the weird... premise is it's...
1: yeah. I think that it's I think that it suffers from the screenwriter having a really really good idea, but not having a story to go with it. It's a great premise, it's a terrible story. So, I mean, it's it's good for me to watch because I think that it gets my brain working of, well, how would I have done it? One of those movies that makes for good brainstorming if you're a screenwriter, but if you're looking for like a comedy or, you know, what the poster art on Netflix is trying to sell you, you're not going to get that. But I'm not upset that I watched it again. So that was Davis possessions. Um, and then the second one that I watched um, wasn't, Technically horror, I kind of got bamboozled by Netflix here. Um, Their new layout and their new poster selection um, and their categorizing of things has been a little fucky lately, Mm. so every once in a while I'll grab something and be like, oh, this is going to be a fun little thriller, and then it ends up being um, like borderline a lifetime movie, (laughs) which is what happened with A Girl Like Her, which... The cover of it is, you know, two faces of these young girls. One of them has a very sinister look on her face and the other one looks like she's like dead. So I saw that and immediately was like, oh, this is going to be like a you know, younger version of um, the roommate or something to that effect. Nope. It was about how mean girls are and cyberbullying and the whole like suicide crisis that's going on with um, – like the youth of today because of how goddamn mean and ruthless they are. And now it's all being documented because of social media. So it's set up like a, like a documentary, but it's, it's all fiction, but it's very, very convincing. Um, almost to a level of uncomfortability where we follow this young girl who's being just relentlessly and mercifully, teased mercilessly that's the word i'm sorry radiation what's up um <laughs> mercilessly teased to the point where like this girl is just she's so fucking mean to her and when you watch it you're like that's not how kids today act it is how kids today act and that's what makes it even more horrifying because it seems like it's on a cartoonish level of cruelty but that's exactly how kids are asked like are acting like they're just bombarding her with text messages that are like You're fat, kill yourself, just horrible shit. And, you know, her friend convinces her, like, you should wear one of these hidden cameras and document it so we can, you know, show the principal that this shit isn't cool. Long story short, uh, the real movie kind of kicks off when this girl who's being teased uh, commits suicide and ends up in a coma. So then she is not able to express how mean this girl is, there's all these rumors that this girl's been picking on her who, you know, obviously she's denying it. So then you kind of change the scope and focus on her. And you realize, you know, she's from kind of a, a broken home and like all of the things that go into creating bullies. Like, why are you a bully? Um, and then it forces her obviously, because it turns into a lifetime movie real quick where it forces her to like see the monster that she's really become or whatever. Um, (laughs) If you have preteen girls, highly recommend watching it with them because it is a very unflinching look at how mean girls really are. Um, I especially recommend it for fathers who have never been a teenage girl. Oh, um, it is a little ham-fisted and a little after-school specialty at times where you're like, "This, okay, that's a bit much. But I, I mean, I unfortunately watched it and the whole time was like, yeah, that's... <laughs> That is exactly how girls talk to each other. And it's really mean and really unforgiving and really awful. But, um, I know I think good, good life lessons can be learned from it, but that was pretty much it. I can't wait to have, you know, a couch and to be able to put away my films (laughs) because we've bought probably $250 worth of movies since we've moved here. Um, so I've got a lot to watch. Um, I rewatched Goosebumps, but I talked about that a while ago. (laughs) It was on Netflix. It makes me happy and I'm getting better at being able to watch lawn gnomes and not shit my pants.
0: So (laughs) progress,
1: baby steps. Yeah. Baby steps, progress. Um, that's my doorstep. I'm real boring. I've been gone for three weeks and I have nothing to show for it. I binge watched a lot of Netflix. I've been binge watching this shit out of this new podcast called Sword and Scale. If you like true crime Ooh. and don't like to sleep because it just just makes you really hate life, I highly recommend Sword and Scale. It'll fuck you up for days. Um, but that's it.
2: That's my doorstep.
0: Awesome. Brady there.
2: Yeah, I'm here. How's everybody doing? <laughs>
0: We lost you for a sec, but you you are back.
1: Yeah, I'm back. I'm remembering how to speak English because I haven't done it in so
0: long. <laughs> oh, Brad, cool. uh, do you have like 107 movies you need to talk about? Should I go first or
2: no? I, mean, I could just talk real quick. Impossible. I don't believe you. Yeah, I can do it.
0: I'm timing you now. I was <laughs> no, kidding. What, what's what's under Brad?
2: Um, I watched the sequel. It took me a while. To watch the sequel, but I watched Dawn of the Planet of the Apes.
1: <laughs> How'd wow. you like it?
2: I liked it. It was all right. <laughs> it was just about as good as the first one. I liked I liked the apes in it. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I got.
0: Maybe I should go for a little bit so Br- so we can find the real Brad.
2: No, that's it. That's it.
0: That's, that's all I have. you want. That's all you. I'm have.
2: like I'm moving. Are you like, sick? I'm packing. Oh, up. you're
1: moving. Yeah. Oh, okay. What
0: you know, are you voting?
1: So Do you have like a like a big ass yard and a big ass house?
0: He took yeah. some screamcast money, he bought himself a
1: palace. Yeah. Yeah, he, he took that like four dollars <laughs> in sponsorship. Got himself uh, yeah. real pretty Well I have
2: I have some limited edition Blu-rays coming out too. They're gonna be Ooh. pressed for real. And Ooh. you can you can purchase them on the Screamcast.com
0: I almost uh iced tea almost came out of my nose just now.
1: Ice tea, like the drink, or iced tea, the person. Because I would be way more interested <laughs> if iced tea, the person, came out of your nose.
0: Uh, that would be problematic. I think.
1: I know you'd have some serious sinus issues. You'd totally. need to see a doctor.
0: Yeah, I think so. All right, so I'm just I'm taken aback that Brad only has one thing to plug. So Donna Planet Aves, did you like? I mean, did you like it? I liked it better than the than the first one.
2: Um, it doesn't have that dynamic with Caesar and, um, of course, um, James Franco's character, which I thought was really, really great. Uh, seeing kind of the Coba and Caesar animosity build, you kind of knew the direction the film was going, like right off the bat. And I thought that was kind of boring. Is awesome. everybody, st- Hold is on, everybody my, still uh, there? Noah I was just riveted by
1: James Franco.
2: Oh, Noah's joining us.
1: Oh, yeah. Looking for that candy time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Little story about my son. Uh, today he discovered he has two jelly beans while he was in the bath.
1: Did your kid discover his balls?
0: He discovered his balls today.
1: <laughs> I was just telling Brad that I came to the realization while you were yeah. gone that I don't actually know how old your children are. I just see pictures of them and kind of throw arbitrary numbers at Three, them. 3, 8, and 11. 3, 8, and 11, okay.
0: Yeah, 8-year-olds turning 9. But oh. the, yeah, the 3-year-old yeah. today, just all of a sudden he's splashing around and he says, Jelly beans, I got jelly beans. Oh, and <laughs> he's like, He goes what? He goes. There's something here, and then he stands up and points to his uh, little uh, little nut sack. And I go, "Oh, those are your balls."
1: (laughs) Did I ever tell you about the time my uh, my godson realized what a boner was? (laughs) He just like came out of the room and he had morning wood. He just goes, (laughs) "I have a boner." (laughs) We're like,
4: "Oh fuck!" Uh,
0: Should I I still do
2: that every fucking morning?
0: Kids, (laughs) kids are great. All right. Anyway, uh so I'm sorry Brad. Um you're really interrupted by my my goddamn 3-year-old.
2: No, but, uh, it's uh, okay. Jelly beans.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I I mean I was, it was it's it's a it's a decent it's a decent decent sci-fi 8 movie.
4: Yeah.
2: I mean, I I thought it was a solid sequel. Um you know, I just I just kind of like you know the whole thing what's building up between Caesar and Koba, so it's like uh eh. You know, yeah. it, it's, it's just, it's okay. It's an okay movie.
0: All right. Very cool. All right. So I watched a couple things. Um, I watched the, this uh, new film. I think it's out in select theaters right now, but it's available for video on demand. Directed by Alex Brewer and Benjamin Brewer. Starring uh, Elijah Wood and Nick Cage. It's, uh, The Trust. Hmm. Which is about How is it? Two uh, kind of sort of, not really corrupt, but two cops who are kind of, you know, bored with their jobs. And uh, Nicholas Cage's character gets the idea to basically rob a heroin dealer because he discovered that they had a, they have some sort of safe or something in this building. And he wants to basically rob it. And he talks Elijah Wood uh, into doing this with him and uh i liked it a lot. um it's this is unhade unhinged cage Ooh, which which is great. That's um, the best cage. He's having fun, you know what i mean? He's not trying to be dour or anything. He's having fun with this role and that's always the best. He's always the best when he's like that. So this is a good Nick Cage film, not a paycheck Nick Cage film. And uh i mean Elijah Wood is is fantastic as always. He needs to just shave. He needs to not let his, try to let a beard grow though. That's the one criticism that, uh, my wife had for him. And I agreed. Cause uh, I kind
4: of
1: like the scruffy, yeah? the scruffy look. I don't
0: know. He just, he just consistently looks 16. But that's why
1: uh, I like the scruffy look. Cause it makes me feel less creepy.
0: <laughs> but it was really, it was really good. I had a lot of fun with it. Um, small, it's a smaller cast and, um, but it's, it's funny. Like, it's funny in all the right places, but it's also thrilling where it needs to be. Um, so I would I would recommend you check it out. I don't want to I don't want to give anything away, but I love how the cops are interacting. Like they're on a crime scene, and it's all just work for them. You know what I mean? And they so they capture that really well. Like you know, how how things how monotonous things are in my office that I work in. Like you know the the try to make a few copies or the copier breaks and you got to fix it or whatever. Like they're treating a crime scene like that. So, um, so that is pretty fantastic. So I would check it out. Have you guys uh, seen this at all yet? I
2: only talked about it on the South by episode.
0: Oh, that's right. You saw this at South by Southwest.
2: Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. You're getting a little heated there.
0: Wow,, yeah. man, chill out.
1: Chill. It's a nice color on you. Stand you
0: know,
2: down. It was all right. I mean, it's definitely it has a lot of potential for the first like 30, 45 minutes. And then it gets into serious time when they're actually doing the heist, and it just gets kind of brutally boring. I thought, and then it picks up, and it's like, wait, this isn't no longer a comedy; it's a drama. Ooh, yay! <laughs> and it just it, like it just it and, like it just gets super serious, and it just it kind of ruins the whole buddy cop uh, thing that it had going really well too.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I, I was just, definitely front-loaded for sure as far as uh, the. I dynamic. was
2: cracking up. I was cracking up. I was like, man, Nick Cage and uh, Elijah Wood need to make buddy comedies. This needs to be a franchise. But then it just like – it brutally stops, and it's like, okay, wait. This is no longer a comedy. Forget everything that just happened because now it's like a serious heist movie. And it just is like – I don't know. It played with my emotions. Hmm. I didn't I, – I really loved the first half, and then I kind of wanted to turn it off or walk out during the second half because I, I just don't like – I'm not a fan of when movies kind of just totally negate what they were trying to do and what they were building up. And they're just like, hey, you know what? Different movie now. And I just didn't – I just can't grasp that. Like, I don't
0: know. Yeah. It, it worked a little better for me. I I kind of just went with it. But you're right. I mean, is the, the dynamic between those two in the beginning of the film is, is a lot more enjoyable than
2: – Yeah, well, is, they – d- sure. Like they both can do drama at times. I mean, obviously Nick, uh, Elijah Wood can do better drama than Nicolas Cage because he just does Cage Rage. But
4: <laughs> he, didn't, he never,
2: he never, he never went to that. He, you know, he, Nicolas Cage was very contained the whole film, which I liked. But you know, it just it didn't have. You know, it just became flat characters after that. You know, I, I just. That. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know. That. I was just uh, it was really upsetting because it felt like it was truly something special. Like if you told me, "Hey, you want to watch a buddy cop movie where Nicolas Cage and Elijah Wood are friends," and it's like, uh, "No, but yes, very, very much so. Let's watch that." <laughs> and it's like working perfectly, and you're like, "What the fuck is happening? This is the Twilight Zone." And like it had like it had such charm, and the characters were so charismatic and so silly and goofy. And they work so well together, and then it got super fucking serious. It gets super serious, Sean. I know super. It does. Yeah, like the ending. You're like, why is what is this? What's going on? <laughs> you were like, you were like okay, touching want- evidence and like fucking up and goofing off like at the crime scene, and now we just have this ending where I'm just like, okay,
0: yeah. I don't want to get into spoiler territory, but I, I feel like right. no, I know way, the way that they anything. are. The way that they are, I feel like you know. I mean, they're not. They're technically not really not good guys. So I I feel like, you know,
2: they're not. But the thing is, is that it's handled in such a way that you have two people that are inexperienced for what they're doing Mm -hmm. and they're in over their heads. But they completely take away like 100 percent take away the comedy aspect of the movie. Yeah. So it would be different and we were just talking about this before the show like how films are one thing and then completely change right in the middle and it, it to me that's confusing like it's it doesn't it doesn't flow it's jarring to me that it's like it's like I forget what movie I'm watching now like am I not laughing anymore am I supposed to laugh at this
0: right Fun I fact know. I may have dozed off right when the turn happened and uh Woke up and just finished watching the movie.
2: But the thing is, it slaps you right in the, it slaps you <laughs> right in the face when it turns.
0: I think, you know what? You know what? I think I missed the part where it got super serious because I woke up. I, 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 I think I dozed for like five minutes. I must have. This is my problem. My God, this is my Jesus problem lately. Sean. I'm like, I
1: was going to say, I was like, is this a reoccurring pattern? For when you? I sit
0: down to watch a movie, I turn into a friggin', uh, narcoleptic. When I sit on my couch. So oh I think I, I think that's what work. happened. I think that I uh I think I missed when it turned like did the hard turn and I just kind of was like oh I'm just gonna see how this plays out and I you know and yeah it was it was more it definitely was more serious. Um, yeah, there's a good ten so, minutes there that I must have missed.
2: Dang, Jeez. now it's ten. Damn. Damn. Uh, I mean it's 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 an okay movie. You're not gonna be bored. It's just I was really like the. They really had something with the buddy cop aspect.
0: Yeah, the first half is fant- The first half is fantastic. So, I, the good thing is, I mean, I I rented it for about six nine 99 Uh, for me, it's it's a one timer. You know, watch it once and 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 enjoy it for what it is, and, and then move on. Um, I definitely wouldn't buy it. But uh you're right, yeah it is you know, but for what it was I, I I dug it, but it did not get put into the to buy list it got into put into the one timer list so these this this will probably end up on Netflix if you' ever seen it on Netflix, I think it's a I think it's a definite you know Netflix watch for sure uh this next one I'm way more enthusiastic about, and it's starring Owen Wilson oh boy, no escape. <laughs> last year with uh, Pierce Brosnan Owen Wilson and some other people
2: it's already that cast makes like I know that you said that and I do want to see it because of what you said mm-hmm. and because you sing its praise I'll watch it but dude if you just say Owen Wilson I automatically say no
0: this is why I uh, this why is are you why I, Owen Wilson
2: well, and then when you say Pierce Brosnan I'm like all right Definitely not.
0: I thought, I figured this would just be like some, you know, direct to DVD type act, stupid Lionsgate action flick, right? Something like that. It's it's kind of what it looks like, but it um,
2: looked like a vacation gone wrong
0: movie. Yeah. And it, and it kind of is. It's, you know, this guy, this guy gets, uh, transferred with his family to frickin', uh, Cambodia or something like that. Um, to work for the, in the work for like the water, the water district or the water works there. He's like the new manager of that plant. So he has to tra- transport his whole family over to Cambodia. He just arrives. I don't know. It's like, I feel like like, I'm like, did you not think this through? Did you not go to check it out? And maybe get a house first. It's like he got the job and just takes his whole family to Cambodia and doesn't really have a plan. Like they're going to stay at a hotel until they figure it out, which to me was like, you know, I wouldn't do that personally with my family. But anyway, um, so the whole gist of the film is basically right when he arrives, a coup occurs and they overthrow like the prime minister and basically, um, uh, they're trying to this coup or whatever these rebels or whatever the hell they are are trying to round up every single white person they find and just kill them because, uh, apparently though, you know, he's responsible for them, a lot of locals losing their jobs at the water plant. That's the basic gist of it. So it sounds, it sounds, it definitely sounds like direct to DVD action flick.
2: It sounds like the movie I avoided in the nineties.
0: Yeah. But (laughs) the execution, the, it, it's so brutal. Um, and so tense that it, it surprisingly works. I mean, it works on so many levels. I think, especially because I'm a parent, like there's so many little moments with the kids, like, I would think like, what if I was in this situation with my kids, what would I do? And the kids are very believable. I mean, there's one scene where the youngest daughter, like he's trying to carry her away from danger. and She drops her little teddy bear and she's more concerned about losing her teddy bear than, you know, a bunch of people trying to kill them, kill the family, like little things like that. Like I guarantee you, my kid would probably do that. But, um, but it's, it's, a it's a thrilling film. Like it's super intense. It, it never really lets up. Um, uh, Pierce Brosnan is fantastic in it. There's this grizzled, you know, uh European that they kind of cross paths with. Uh, he's badass. And um it's definitely worth checking out. I was super surprised by this film. And Owen and Owen Wilson kind of because I for me, I haven't really dug any of his real serious work. I don't think he's more of I, you know, I've is liked it. Has he ever done a comics. serious movie? Oh, he did um oh shit, what is that? Exactly. Enemy at the gate. No, is the, is the enemy at the gate? That's no, another one. Behind, no, it, behind, it, behind, it behind lines. enemy Behind enemy lines. Both those movies came out around the same time. I think.
2: Fucking terrible.
0: And both of those movies disappointed me. Yeah, behind uh, enemy, enemy lines is horrible.
2: Enemy, enemy at the gates is okay.
0: It's okay.
1: See, but behind enemy lines has that sick sequence where he's setting off all the foot traps. <laughs> <laughs> God,
0: I'm kidding. The movie's awful. This is he's great in this because he kind of has that. He's like the kind of this goofy dad kind of thing. Um, the only, the only criticism I think I'd have with this would be like, there's certain scenarios that like, if he's just a normal day, every man, like these people would all be dead. Like with the amount of shit that's going on, like they're, they got some luck going on, but all that aside, it's super, it, it's, it moves. It's really thrilling. Ah, um, oh,
2: he was in the minus man. That's a great minus movie man? that oh, he I've never did. seen that. Yeah. So he did that like in the nineties or something. He had a movie called The Minus Man where he played like a serial killer. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah, that was. I remember that. That was fun.
0: Check that out. So I would definitely give this uh, give this a watch. No Escape. Unfortunately, it's not uh, you know not a remake of the Ray Liotta movie. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that movie needs to come out on Blu-ray. The the sci-fi No Escape. That movie's fantastic.
2: Who directed this No Escape?
0: John Eric Dowdle.
2: Oh, okay. I knew who that done, guy is. Uh, what else is Yeah, he the done? Poughkeepsie tapes. Devil. Oh,
0: oh um. Did, uh, as above, as so below.
2: below. Uh, yeah, as above, so below. Quarantine, Quarantine. The remake of <sighs> REC. Eh, the remake of REC isn't that bad. I, it's not I that bad.
1: I. It's what? just a straight up rip of like it's almost shot for shot.
0: Yeah. Here's my question about quarantine. Uh, in wreck, did the cameraman use his camera to bash a zombie's face? No. In? No. See, once that happened, since I used to be a cameraman, I used to deal with cameras and stuff. I was like, I tuned out. I was like, that, that camera's busted. There's no way that camera's usable. And so I turned the movie off. I said, fuck quarantine. I'm sticking with wreck but Park Devil's not, Devil's not pretty bad. damn good he, this director is that he is you know he Devil
2: is, you think Devil's good
0: I like Devil a lot
2: god I fucking hated that piece of shit
0: <laughs> anyway for me I love
2: the I love the Poughkeepsie tapes that's obviously his best work. well and as as, as, as about above so below so is, was pretty cool yeah
0: yeah I think he has a pretty good uh, I, I think I think John Eric Dowdle has a you know he has a good cluster of films here I think he's he's on track you know so, but no escape All right, was Sean, intense. No escape. Dude, you'd like it. I, I, Whoa, I have a feeling don't you say like
2: that. it. I'm a total fucking dick, dude.
0: I think you'd like I'm it, man.
2: a total dick.
0: It pulls no punches. Alright, uh and then finally, uh, I watched Finding Dory, and no, we're not gonna talk about that.
2: <gasps> I
1: wanna know what you think of it. <laughs> Dude, fuck off. I really do. Really? Because <laughs> I, I, I haven't I, seen I, it yet. And I love like
0: I took the kids. Oh. Um it's I had a lot of fun with it. There's a seven tentacled octopus that steals the movie named Hank. He's fantastic. Uh Dory. who
1: voices him, do you know?
0: Oh gosh. Um oh, it's somebody that I should know. Yeah, hold on, hold on, hold on. Cast, uh, you, isn't, uh, Ed O'Neill?
1: Oh, perfect. Yeah, yeah,
0: Ed O'Neill, he's great. Yep. Oh, that's amazing. But it's fun, it's fun. You know, it's, you know, finding Nemo is fantastic and, uh, you know, this isn't as clever as finding Nemo, but, uh, it's fun. It's,
1: is it as heart wrenching?
0: Oh, oh gosh, there's a couple scenes where I freaking teared up like a little, uh, no.
1: will it make me cry more than, Inside Out, because Inside Out wrecked me. Uh,
0: probably not as much as Inside Out. Okay, good. But there then I is can a see moment. it in public.
1: I can there see it in public.
0: Moment. And I'll no? be fine. Noah, what are you doing?
1: Oh, he heard you talking about finding Dory. That's what you happened. need
0: to be in bed. <laughs> Noah, what did you think about finding Dory? Uh,
4: not good. That's not true. <laughs> not <finding> <laughs> Yeah,
2: I know. That's what I'm critic. talking about. That's what I'm talking
0: about. <laughs> you
1: better not edit any of that out, because
4: that's incredible.
0: <laughs> okay, you need to sit there quietly. Let me talk, okay? <laughs>
2: I, I tell you, <laughs> oh I was, um, I to me, like, I don't, eventually, I'll see Finding Dory, I guess, when it hits Blu-ray, Maybe. Because Willow's not like not interested at all, and I was like, "Hey, do you want to go?" And she's like, "Nah." And I was like, "Yeah." I was like, "This is movie's like 15 years too late." It seems like yeah, we I, they spent so much fucking time making fucking cars that talk and fucking planes running around. Like this is something like, and honestly, I don't even remember even finding Nemo that great. You shut I up loved right it.
1: now. Oh my god, I loved yeah. Finding Nemo.
2: Yeah, I don't remember liking it all that much. I mean, I, I, I think their best work is Up and probably Monsters Inc. But did you that, see Inside Out yet? Yeah, I, I, th- I thought Inside Out was pretty Ugh, good, I
0: but Brad has Brad eyes. has no soul. So
2: it's not that I have any right. no have any soul. It's just that <laughs> immediately when Pixar comes out, everything thinks it's the greatest fucking cartoon ever, and no, that's definitely that, not the case. Yeah, some made, of them aren't that great. Like Cars, they they're, they're some, all terrible. <laughs> Yeah, they've made some really shitty Cars fucking- 2
0: is Oh, and
1: awful. that has Owen Wilson in it, too! Yeah.
0: <laughs> the Owen Wilson connection.
1: Yep, he ruined it. He ruined right. Cars.
0: That's, uh... I think that's it. Oh, uh... We'll talk about it. I... I... I yeah, I tried watching Annabelle. But we'll talk Why about Why would it you bit. do that? because well, I'm giving everything... trying to give everything a fair shake. Oh, well, uh, that was your
1: first mistake.
0: They cast, like, the two worst people for the leads... Like, ever. Like, the most, like, bland, uninteresting, uninter- un- uninteresting people they cast to be our leads. Where in, like, The Conjuring and The Conjuring 2, like, what James Wan does is he really gets you, you know, invested with the characters. Like, Annabelle is just, like...
1: No, he didn't, he didn't direct
0: well, that. He didn't direct it. He produced it. <laughs> and, 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 and I know they just were like, right. hey, hey, Warner Brothers is just like, hey, James Wan, we want to make a spinoff with that doll. Uh, can you sign right here? We'll give you some money. And James Wan said, Fuck yeah. And then No,
2: yeah. it's, no. They were <laughs> like, Hey, um, who can direct this? Can James do it? No. All right. I have an idea. My favorite movie is Mortal Kombat Two. Let's get the director <laughs> of that.
0: Oh my god, and and only, he, was he the director of the Oh okay. Yeah, who only
2: directed one movie in his entire life. Oh my god. And it's gosh. Mortal Kombat Two.
1: No, nope, I mean, he directed one other movie.
0: Everything makes so much sense What now. is that the
1: butterfly effect
0: too. Oh. oh, he
2: did that too? Oh, I didn't yeah. know. He's a great cinematographer. He's he's a oh great D P. Like he he does he definitely has an eye. He he definitely amplifies. Like John Leonetti is a decent uh DP. Like he really is. Yeah. But dude, what the fuck was <laughs> Mortal Kombat Two about? Like that movie is so <laughs> off its rocker, and then like I hear about Annabelle, Bell, and I'm like, all right, that's cool. I could watch more of that, and it's like John Leonetti and I'm like, why Yeah,
4: there's <laughs>
2: one like no one has sequence. seen Mortal Kombat Two at Warner Brothers or whatever <laughs> like
0: it's the Warner Brothers movie, isn't it
2: what New Line did oh, uh New Line? um mortal uh Mortal Kombat, okay. but it's just like. How does nobody in that room making that decision like at least pull a Sean and pull up IMDb <laughs> and just like sitting at the boardroom, uh, guys? Before we sign his contract, can we watch Mortal Kombat two real quick? <laughs> like, how no. did nobody say anything? Like, is that the only option?
0: I have no idea how Hollywood. All- you know, at,
2: at least at least with you know uh, the Nun uh, spinoff, they got that um, you know the guy that just made that horror film. Um, you know, because they're doing the spinoff for The Conjuring 2, The The Nun they got um, shit.
1: Did they officially get the director for that?
2: Yeah, I'm pretty sure they announced it. Um, he did a decent horror film recently. Oh God. All right, never mind.
0: I'm gonna insert some Jeopardy music.
2: Yeah, I have no I idea. Know
0: but what there's in annabelle look, there's one for for me there was one decent sequence near the beginning of the film it's when uh the wife wakes up or the the neighbors across the way they can see into their bedroom or whatever and some shit goes down and and the husband goes away and then the wife kind of wakes up and then uh some splatter happens against the wall like that that was pretty effective and then it was just all downhill from there
2: <laughs> it's honestly oh uh lights out he's the guy that did uh lights out movie.
0: Oh, that i saw the trailer for lights out It looks yeah, awful. so
2: i thought it was something that already came out but uh, i mean the short film that that guy did that that's based off of that's great. the short films the short film is very effective so i'm pretty excited to see what he could do with the feature with it because the fucking trailer is terrifying
0: for lights out like, yeah oh the trailer's bullshit. yeah what uh-uh. I, I hated the trailer
1: well the trailer lights- hates you that looks fucking terrifying
0: the beginning dude. of the trailer I was hooked and then it kinda got a little I was just like, Okay, I don't know.
2: No, the movie looks batshit fucking insane. Like you can't escape. No <laughs> escape with Owen Wilson.
0: <laughs> I'm gonna give the movie a shot. I just the mood the, the trailer didn't uh didn't, didn't I don't know, dude. I think that trailer's fucking The short as film fuck. though scared the crap out of me.
1: Yeah, I'm probably gonna cry in the theater, let's be
0: real.
1: <laughs> I'm fully aware of it, and that's all fine.
0: right. I've uh I've uh, I've launched the James Wan conversation a little bit here, so let's jump into talking about The Conjuring Two and uh, the trajectory career the trajectory. I can't even pronounce the word trajectory of James Wan's
2: career trajectory.
0: But first, we're going to jump into news with uh, Josh O'Bershaw. <laughs> and Josh O'Bershaw joins us for the news. What's up, Josh? What's up, Sean?
3: I hope they won't, you know, hold it against us too much considering we were gone for an extra week, but don't worry, we're alive, we're okay, don't send the yeah. ransom.
0: <laughs> Summertime gets crazy in my life, um, so, probably more so than than Brad or anyone else, so, uh, bear, bear with us, there may be a few more, you know, uh, lapses in, uh, in, in, the, in the show here and there, but, um... We'll always communicate to you guys via the social medias. So make sure you're following us on there on Twitter and Facebook.
3: Right. And we'll be sure to let you guys know all of the stuff that's coming. So
0: yes, yes. The screencast.com, uh, there's the subscribe little area. We got the Twitter, the Facebook, all that stuff and find us there. All right, man. What, uh, what do you got for us today?
3: Well, uh, we've got to let people know about our sponsors vinegar syndromes July package. Because we mentioned some mm-hmm. some some weeks ago, we mentioned that they were going to be putting out the Candy Tangerine Man and Lady Coco as a uh, a sort of a, a double feature Blu-ray DVD combo pack. Originally, that was going to be for June, but they decided to um, take June off, and now this is going to be part of the July package. Which means that we'll probably be getting a. Uh, a monthly package for Christmas, which is nice. But for July, we've got The Candy Tangerine Man and Lady Coco, two black exploitation movies directed by Matt Simber. Now, the bonus features for this, it's going to be a region-free Blu-ray and DVD combo pack. All the extras are going to be on both formats. Both films are scanned and restored in 2K from 35mm archival prints. A director's video introduction for The Candy Tangerine Man. A commentary track for Lady Coco with director Matt Simber and director's assistant slash actor John Goff. A reversible cover for Lady Coco and English subtitles. Next up in the package is another Rudy Ray Moore flick. This one's called P.D. Wheat Straw. And once again, it's going to be region free. All the extras are going to be on both formats. Uh, scanned and restored in 2K from 35mm uh, original camera negatives and a making of documentary called I Dolomite part 3 plus we got a, a commentary track with Rudy Ray Moore's biographer Mark Jason Murray co-star Jimmy Lynch and director Cliff Rockmore shooting locations revisited it's a featurette with Rudy Ray Moore we've got a soundtrack a promotional still gallery we got trailers for Disco Godfather the Human Tornado and Dolomite. Plus, you also get a reversible cover art and English subtitles for this for um, for that one. And from here on out in the July package, it gets a little sexy. <laughs> Next up, <laughs> we've got first off corporate assets starring Tish Ambrose, uh Amber Lynn, Sherry St. Clair, Jamie Giles, or is it Gillis? I- can't remember but harry reams is also sure. yeah harry reams is also in it too uh it's going to be a region free dvd only it's going to be scanned and restored in 2k from the 35 millimeter camera negatives and video interview with lead actor eric edwards and original theatrical trailer now here's where it gets really sexy next up is called is a movie called both ways Filled with tense plots twists from beginning to end, Jerry Douglas's Both Ways is a tightly written and expertly acted hardcore drama delving in one of the most taboo topics in sex, male bisexuality, co-starring Dean Tate. Oh man. Oh yeah. Co-starring Dean Tate and Darby Lloyd-Rains, Vinegar Syndrome presents this forgotten landmark in X-rated cinema, newly restored and totally uncut for the very first time anywhere in the world. This is going to be a region-free DVD-only, scanned and restored in 2K, a commentary track from director Jerry Douglas, and an original theatrical trailer. And finally, in the uh, July package, is a double-feature DVD-only of two all-male films. One's called Take One, and the other one is called Moving. Once again, (laughs) region-free, scanned in 2K, Director introductions and commentaries for both films. Three deleted scenes from Take One uh, Wakefield Pool and SF. Let's see, More on Moving, which is a short documentary chronicling the production history of Moving. Uh, a couple of bonus short films. One's called Roger, the other one's called Freedom Day Parade, and there's also a trailer for Moving. Now, all these movies are going to be released. Uh, individually and together as the package on July 26th. So there's vinegar syndromes July package, Sean. Wow. I know, right?
0: I'm excited for the black exploitation for sure. Okay. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what happens. Okay, I won't But <laughs> when I get him. <laughs> Sorry,
3: I didn't mean to put you on the spot there. Well, we got a couple of updates from uh, Screen Factory to tell you guys about. We've got the final list of extras for Bad Moon. We've got not only the theatrical cut in high definition, but we've also got a new director's version, supervised and approved by Eric Red. We've also got a new um, making-of featurette called Nature of the Beast, featuring interviews with writer-director Eric Redd. Actors Michael Perret and Mason Gamble, special effects makeup artist Steve Johnson, and stunt coordinator Ken Kurzinger. Plus, we got a new audio commentary with writer-director Eric Red. commentary with Eric Redd and Michael Perret, an unrated opening scene from the director's first cut which is sourced from VHS, I might add. So, just a heads up. Three storyboard sequences and original theatrical trailer. Now, once again, this one is coming out on July 19th. And the other um, Screen Factory update I want to tell you about is the remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And this is going to be a long list. So, here we go. We've got... Mm -hmm. A 2K scan of The Inner Positive. Star Crossed in the Invasion, which is an interview with actress Brooke Adams. Leading the Invasion, which is an interview with actor Art Hindle. Recreating the Invasion, an interview with writer W.D. Richter. Scoring the Invasion, an interview with composer Denny Zeitlin. Audio commentary with author slash film historian Steve Haberman audio commentary by Phil, uh, director Philip Kaufman, Revisitors from Outer Space, or How We Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Pod, including interviews with director Philip Kaufman, screenwriter W.D. Richter, director of photography Michael Chapman, and actors Donald Sutherland and Veronica Cartwright. We've also got Practical Magic, the special effects pod, the man behind the screen, the sound effects pod, which is an interview with Ben Burt and sound editor Bonnie Kaler, the Invasion will be televised, the cinematography pod, theatrical trailers, TV and radio spots, photo gallery, and an episode of Science Fiction Theater entitled Time is Just a Place based on Jack Finney's short story and directed by Jack Arnold. And this one is still scheduled to come out on August 2nd. And we've got a, another uh, lineup of dvds that are coming out and this one is coming from Arrow. so um console your wallets folks here we go (sighs) coming out in both the us and the uk the hills have eyes we're getting a brand new blu-ray of that What you'll find is a 4K restoration, brand new from the original film elements, supervised by producer Peter Locke. You got the original mono audio, optional subtitles, six postcards, reversible fold-out poster featuring new and original artwork, limited edition booklet featuring new writing on the film by critic Brad Stevens, and a consideration of the Hills franchise by Ewan Kant. Illustrated with original archive stills. You've also got commentary with Wes Craven and Peter Locke. Looking back, those have eyes. This was the, um, the hour-long making of documentary that some of you may know from Anchor Bay's two-disc DVD that came out, I believe it was 2003. It's got the interviews with Craven, Locke, actors Michael Behrman, Dee Wallace, Janice Blythe, Robert Houston, Susan Lenoir, and director of photography Eric Sarian. Then we've got the Desert Sessions, brand new interview with composer Don Peak, an alternate ending in HD for the first time. Trailers and TV spots. Image gallery. Uh it has a BD DVD-rom original screenplay. A reversible sleeve featuring new and featuring original and new artwork by Paul Shipper. And apparently there's more to be announced for this title. So Wow. Yeah. And I know a lot of people are going to be excited for this one. Slugs is coming to Blu-ray in the U.S. Uh, This one has a brand new restoration from original film elements. High definition Blu-ray presentation. Original uncompressed PCM stereo audio. Optional English subtitles. Audio commentary by writer filmmaker Chris Alexander. An interview with actor Emilio Linder. This one's called Here's Slugs in Your Eye. Next, They Slime, They Ooze, They Kill. The Effects of Slugs, an interview with special effects artist Carlo DeMarquis. Invasion USA, an interview with art director Gonzalo Gonzalo. The Lion's Den, an interview and locations tour with production manager Larry Ann Evans. The 1988 Goya Awards promo reel. Original theatrical trailer, Reversible Sleeve featuring original and newly commissioned artwork by Wes Ben Scotter. Fully illustrated collector's booklet featuring new writing by writer Michael Gingold. Nice. And this is another one that I know a lot of folks are going to be looking forward to. This one is Dead End Drive-In. And what you're going to be getting with this one is a 2K restoration from the original elements. It's going to be in high def of optional English subtitles audio commentary by director Brian Trenchard Smith, the stuntman Trenchard Smith's classic television documentary on grant page and other Australian stunt performers hospitals. Don't burn down Trenchard Smith's 1978 public information film told in pure exploitation fashion. And plus you also get a theatrical trailer And for the for the first pressing only, you're going to get a fully illustrated collector's booklet containing writing on the films by Colin Gallagher and Neil Mitchell. Now, um, the street dates, the UK street dates for uh, dead end drive in is going to be September 19th. So I'm assuming they're going to be coming out this um, the day after in the States, because that's been yeah, that's been the trend. Slugs is coming out on September 26th, and The Hills Have Eyes will also be coming out on the 26th. So it'll probably be the 27th in the U.S. Now, for the U.K. only uh, releases, they're going to get Raising Cane, which Screen Factory is going to be putting out here in the States. Uh, They're also releasing Joe Dante's Matinee. And Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, which, by the way, Criterion is going to be putting out in September as well here in the United States. For the U.K., uh, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls comes out on September 5th, Matinee September 12th, Raising Cane also September 12th. And that's all I got, Sean. That's all the news this week. All
0: right. Well, thank you very much. We'll be talking to you next week for sure.
3: All right. See you guys next week.
1: Has the best laugh though. It's like
2: stock child
1: laughter that you hear in in a movie.
2: In a horror film, is the problem.
1: Yeah. Can, it's
2: like the fucking children and Blair Witch Project out by the tent.
1: <laughs> That's what we should do. We should just be like Sean. We need you to record your kid's voice. We don't know when we'll use it, but we may need child <laughs> yeah. laughter.
2: We'll just have stockpile of fucking uh, child <laughs> laughter. Noah growing up. <laughs> 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 Fucking Noah's movie reviews.
1: Oh, that was so good. I don't know why that's not a segment. Because <laughs> it's easy. It's just one segment,
2: like one second.
1: Noah, <laughs> what'd you think of this? I not didn't like good. it.
2: <laughs> I didn't like it. Not huh? good. No, we have to have a little segment where you watch movies, Noah, and then he does a review. <laughs> It's like that one video oh. guy that does re- movie movie reviews, but then he has his mom review them. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a joke. It's I've a real thing.
1: Those. No, I've seen those. They're funny. That's
4: hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> All uh, right. But we
1: did also discuss that Noah has the, like, the most stock footage child laughter sound oh, yeah. to his laugh.
4: Dude,
2: you can even just... record it and then sell it. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, all right, here we go.
2: Let, let's start this shit.
0: Are you yawning?
2: Are you yeah, because you're fucking boring me with your <laughs> bullshit.
0: Uh, um, all right, here we go. So today, uh, since Conjuring 2 just recently came out, we actually, all three of us, got to uh, see it within the same week. So uh, Brad brought this up that we should talk about Conjuring 2 and maybe even talk, talk about James Wan's career because it's been pretty uh cool career like starting with uh i mean he got popular with saw and then he kind of went from there um and he was the the first time i ever you know knew who he was who he was was from saw and then i kind of wrote him off after that i didn't really pay attention uh until the past few years with um i guess you know even with uh dead silence and death sentence and but then with Insidious and then The Conjuring and, and all of a sudden he's getting these big studio projects like Furious, uh, seven and then now Aquaman. What? We'll uh, pass on that. His, his career's, you know, ramping up. It's pretty cool to see that happen to, uh, to a director like this. So Brad, why did you, why did you want to talk about James Wan so bad? What was uh, Because
2: he, he's going to be one of these horror icons, like Carpenter. In probably like 20 years. Yeah. Because for, I mean, he steps in and makes a fucking movie that carries a franchise. He has brutality with his films, uh, such as like, you know, death sentence and just kind. Um, he knows how to build the sense of dread. Like Carpenter does. I, I mean, I'm not basing like, Oh, he's John Carpenter. No, but he has that trajectory of, kind of that west craven carpenter thing like i bl- truly believe that he's going to be one of those people depending on what genre of movies he stays uh in with as well um you know carpenter always branched out so did craven um and even so did romero but i mean i, I it's a different caliber but i mean starting off with saw i mean for me um I watched Saw. I fucking loved the very first Saw film. I think Mm -hmm. it is really effective. I think it's really good. Um, With me, big surprise, I have never actually watched the entire series of Saw because I can't make it past the one with uh, Donnie Wahlberg, whatever one that one is. I really can't. I've I've watched the first and the second one, and I think I've watched the third one. Did the third one have Donnie Wahlberg?
0: I think so. I think that was the third one, yeah.
2: Okay. I can't make it past that after the kid's in the safe or something.
0: Oh, that's the second one.
2: Oh, shit. I've never seen the third one. So, anyways, the second one's so, the the second one's really bad. Um, and I just, I really, like, I guess I've tried watching the third one. Is the third one with the, like, the tape and the person? That was a, is there like a a tape?
1: There's tapes in, oh, the tape, like, in his, in his body.
2: Yeah, they're, like, doing, like, a... I can't remember. They all run together for me. They're, like, doing an autopsy or something.
1: Uh, That one is four. No, that... Yeah, four. No, I lied. Yeah, four.
2: Four. That one's four. See, this is what I'm talking about. We can't even decipher which one's there. Well, There's, yeah, like, I'll, eight of them.
1: When it gets to, to my round, it... it Yeah.
2: Keep, so, keep going. <laughs> so, anyways, it's, um, you know, taking the first film alone and throwing the franchise away... Um, the first film alone, I mm-hmm. think it holds, uh, it shows actually Carrie Elwes, which I've always thought, and I said this on the Crush episode, Carrie Elwes is fucking underrated as fuck. He's a, such a good actor when he does serious and, uh, serious films and dramas. I mean, he kind of, I guess he gets typecasted as kind of the goofy, like goofy smile guy and like fucking Robin Hood men in tights. But I think he truly is, a, you know, a, a, a great actor. And then, you know, Lee Wanell uh, started as an actor, and then he he's in this as well, which does a great job. Which he also co-wrote with uh, um, James Wan with the script. But I think Saul holds like such this special place um, of kind of taking taking horror and kind of it, it almost created. It also pushed kind of that torture thing a little bit, which I didn't, it was never a good thing, but it almost sparked like this whole wave of horror films. uh, After, after it's release because there's a lot of copycats that try to do that. Um, But it's not too many people can make a a movie. It's not, I don't think it's his debut. I don't think it's his first feature. I think James Wan did something else before that. I just don't think I've ever seen it. Um, But I think it was a horror film, but To create a movie like that in that universe and carry a franchise and kind of kickstart this wave of horror films, I think that's pretty substantial as your first film. Kind of basically what Carpenter did with Halloween, Mm -hmm. created a franchise, did a wave of slashers. You know, even though it's not considered the very first slasher, you know, because we have the one that skyrocketed it. Right. You know, you have Peeping Tom before that, and you have Black Christmas. But I mean, definitely. Halloween was so popular that that spawned uh, a massive amount of uh, you know copycats and you know inspired by Halloween movies. Um, but I, I think the same James Wan did the same thing with Saw, and I, I think oh, it's yeah. tr- tr- he- tr- truly remarkable. And I think the film alone is it, like if you mentioned Saw, and I know a lot of people roll their eyes, and yeah, I do too. But as a f- the first movie, I think is completely solid. It's creepy, it's gory, it's brutal it has a fucking cool ass twist that you don't expect. Like it's really well written. It has fucking Danny Glover in it. it Has Dina Meyer. Like it's got this really cool fucking cast. Um, you know, it's got all these like cool little things like, you know, trying to, you know, it, guys not really killing anybody. These people are dying because of these contraptions that he made. And, you know, I just think it's a really cool concept. And I, I think it, it I think he did a really great job. I, I really do. Because I, I remember seeing Saw. I'm like, man, that's really fucking good. Um, now, of course, like I said, the sequels, which I'll let BJ because I know she wrote an article about watching all the Saw movies in one sitting. Was it
4: one I sitting? Sure did
1: one yeah. sitting?
2: Oh my god! All so, eleven
1: hours, eleven hours it,
2: straight. Is that why you can't tell them apart?
1: Kind of. <laughs> well, because it's a combination of that, and then also because they're not. Uh, they're not in order as far as like right, the timelines right. are all kind of over the place so in my brain i think about the story in you know chronologically but it's not chronologically with the films like some of them take place before others and that's what gets confusing especially if you watch it all in one sitting
0: <laughs> oh my gosh Hey, I got up. paid.
1: I got paid some pretty decent dollars to do it, so it was worth it.
0: <laughs> my favorite one, I think, as the, of the sequels, was the one with the uh, the healthcare type stuff. Was yep, that, that's uh, my
1: favorite number six. Six, yeah, yep, that one's my I always favorite heard six,
0: six was good.
1: Yeah, six is a lot of fun, and I think it kind of it's definitely still fe- it still feeds into the kind of the gore and the torture porn type thing, but it also brings back the whole idea of morality Mm -hmm. and, you know, having to pay for your, your life choices. Um, closest, I think to the first movie, which is why I like that one so much. And like this, this is where it's going to get a little funky and I may lose a couple people. Um, but I'm 26 years old. James Wan is my Wes Craven. He is my John Carpenter. Obviously, I was fortunate enough to have parents that let me watch Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, all of that shit when I was way too young to be watching it. So they are always going to be, you know, the tops for me. But the Saw was the first movie I ever snuck into a theater to see. Like I was, you know, 14 or 15 uh, whenever it came out, snuck into the theater to see it. So James Wan started, you know, that franchise for me. And I'm a total apologist for it the same way that a lot of people are apologists for the really shitty Friday the 13th films or the really shitty uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, installments or what have you. And because it has kind of that level of nostalgia or I watched this when I was in high school and I took this girl on a date and this is what we did and we saw it. And, you know, you think of that when you see those films and that's how I am. With the Saw sequels, because that was my Halloween for seven years. Like if you know Halloween, you saw film, and that was what I did in my adolescence. And to be like a young horror kid that always knew I had this to look forward to was kind of a big deal. And I mean, I'm 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 glad that with things like Insidious and The Conjuring it is proving that James Wan isn't kind of this one-hit wonder. He's not some guy who made a really good movie that spawned a franchise and then did nothing else. He's shown that he is remarkably gifted at what he does because if you look at, I mean, a little bit, you can see the the parallels between the Insidious films and The Conjuring, Mm -hmm. but if you look at Insidious, the first Conjuring, and Saw, and you line them up, they're very, very different films in the way that they approach how they're going to scare you. Saw has kind of that like new metal like twitchy cam thing going on where it's like they're like like the quick motion I always think of it's when like Amanda's head yeah. yeah. Like when yeah. Her, her head's in the reverse bear trap and everything's like reverse and going fast at the same time and it like fucks with your adrenaline and then you go to something like insidious, which I think is a lot more old school in the sense that it's very score driven and it's very deliberately paced and it has a good combination of slow buildup and then like big punches. And then the conjuring, I think those films have those slow buildups and like the, you know, the focus is pushing you to look right, but there's something in the left. And that's, what's so scary is that you're catching like bits and pieces of it and just his iconography in all of his films are so fucking strong. I mean, sure we're not getting like a Michael Myers type thing, but like Billy the Puppet. Everybody knows Billy the Puppet. Everybody knows the fucking lipstick face demon. Everybody knows like the creepy lady, old lady, uh the the like the black the black bride or whatever she's called. Yeah. And now we have this goddamn nun from The Conjuring <laughs> 2. I mean, he's so smart at the way that he, you know, characterizes these monsters and these scenarios. And that is, you know, the true sign of somebody who knows what they're doing. Are there horror films that have come out, you know, around James Wan that have like affected me more or scared me more? Yeah, absolutely. But is it something that I can, you know, point to on a screen and somebody knows exactly what it is, even if they've never seen it? You know, that's, that's the true thing because there are people that can take one look at that lipstick face demon and go, "Uh uh-uh, Insidious not watching it, or "Uh uh-uh, Saw not watching it, and they've never even seen it. You can't do that with It Follows. You can't do that with Starry Eyes. Those are films that I love that arguably affected me way more, but as far as just that universal reach, like, Juan is a, like, he's a living master right now, and just, Oh, I hope he doesn't leave horror behind. I really hope he doesn't.
0: Yeah, no. Uh, uh, it, it'll be interesting. It's interesting to see what happens once uh, he's finished with Aquaman, if he even goes through with it, right? Because he's still in pre-production for Aquaman. He's still. No, he's kind of getting roped I'm into not that. Following it at all that craziness. Well, I know that he's. You know, he's done the whole thing that all these directors always do, saying that don't worry, your character, your beloved characters, in good hands. Blah blah blah. Basically, she's trying to say, like, uh, I'm not going to fuck up like Zack Snyder did.
1: (laughs) It always worries me, though, whenever somebody talks about Aquaman, because all I can ever think of is the interviews that Adam Green has done where he was originally supposed to write the script for it years ago, and the note they gave him was uh, less water. (laughs) Or I think it was actually, can you do it without water? Right. So that makes me a little uneasy as to, what the hell producers are saying, but that's neither here
0: nor there. Who knows? Anyway,
1: Sean, your feelings on Juan?
0: Juan, um, I feel like I was a little bit late to the party. I think with uh, discovering Saw and, and and his movies, he, I think, uh, I started really diving into Saw's and his movies um, in I think two thousand seven. I think that that was the year the Dead Silence and and Death Sentence came out. And, and I, I remember just seeing Dead Silence on like the video shelves and just kind of being like, oh, that's a guy that did Saw. Oh, he's doing a creepy puppet movie like Child's Play. And that's all I thought because when I first saw Saw, it, I, I, I liked it okay. And then, um, I watched the, all the sequels that were, I, th- I don't know the order. I think I saw up to four maybe in 2007. So I saw like one through four and, and saw it was okay. I didn't really like the, the new metalish, you know, filming of it and everything, but I liked the first saw the best. And then I started, started looking and then, uh, watching like the special features on the first saw DVD and seeing him in interviews. And I really liked him like as a person, like him talking about the making of the films and how what he likes and things like that. So I kind of like connected him with him that way as like a person not just some director of a horror movie. Like I saw kind of who he, who he was, you know, behind the, behind everything. So I, I, um, sought out dead silence and I rented that. And I really loved dead silence. Um, I th- I thought it was just gonna be some stupid, you know, haunted doll movie or killer doll movie or something, but it it was like something more than that. You can tell that he, um, had more going on. I think as an, as an artist, like he wanted to, create these films not just as a, as a gimmick but actually do something you know with the cinematography and the story um and then i checked out death, Sent- death sentence with kevin bacon and uh, that movie it was a different genre and i was like imp- you know impressed that he was gonna take a different genre and so that's kind of was my introduction to james Wan, and then he's in he since Insidious came out as he's just been killing it with these films. Um, he's getting, he's getting better and better with these haunted films. Like I'd like to see him do something more than just like haunted houses and, and paranormal stuff. Unfortunately, the only thing that we've seen him do is like Furious seven, you know, the only thing outside the horror, his horror toolbox. So, um, like he's getting better and better and conjuring two was just like so well done at on a whole other level. I think than his previous films, like what he's doing with the camera and his use of effects and his use of the practical effects, you know, with like the crooked man and, and, um, things like that. Like I'm, I feel like I'm just now excited for a James Wan film. Whereas before I've been like, Oh, it's just a James Wan film. Oh, he's going to do another haunted something. But I feel like, He's continuing to take everything he's learned, even in like Fear 7* with a big budget. He's taking that sensibility into like *The Conjuring 2*, and he really, I think hit a, hit a home run with it, you know. So I, I'd like to see him do more horror. I like, but I'd like to see him go outside the the poltergeists, you know. Yeah, I'd, like, I'd no. like to see him do a straight up monster flick.
3: Oh, yeah. that would be awesome!
2: Yeah, no, he, he but has the eye be- for it. But I mean, we have Saw, which is, you know, and it's a horror film in itself. But then he did Death Sentence, which um, was an exploitation Mm -hmm. uh, type vigilante uh, film, uh, you know, bloody fucking revenge. Um, And if I know that's probably one of his less seen movies, but dude, it's like it's definitely one of his best uh, his best films. Um, And then, you know, he came back kind of with – because I consider Dead Silence one of his his very first, like, real horror films. Mm -hmm. I I mean, Saw is horror in its own way, but it's almost like situation. Like, the situation is horrifying. It's not really a horror film until, like, you know, the pig mask thing pops up. They're snapping the camera in the dark. Um, you know, garage and shit like that. And, you know, Billy popping out the, you know, which also he, like, you know, I forgot to say, but BJ mentioned it. So this guy fucking created two, two horror icons in one movie. Not right. just one. He didn't create Ma- Ma- Michael Myers and move on. No, he created Jigsaw and Billy the Puppet. Yep. Insane. Um, you know, and then he, ca- he came with Dead Silence, which I really fucking love the opening to that movie with them in the apartment and the doll pop. Like I find that super creepy. It has dead silence takes, you know, the seventies and eighties, like, uh, dreary and, you know, just kind of daunting horror film look and just makes a spin on it and puts it in this like weird, like horror fantasy childlike, uh, um, you know, world. I just, I love, I love it everything he did with Dead Silence. It's, it's creepy. It reminds me of being a kid watching a movie from the 80s. Um, you know, even though, uh, Donnie Wahlberg is in it, he <laughs> does.
0: He he has, what do you have against Donnie Wahlberg? Poor he's Donnie awful, Wahlberg.
2: He's awful.
0: Um,
2: <laughs> he's Um, but uh, you know,
0: he's pretty good in, uh, he was in Band of Brothers, wasn't he? He's pretty good in that.
2: I don't know. Um, but anyways, <laughs> I think everything, and I think, he likes dolls and puppets, that's for sure. Yeah. But he really knows. Because there's a fear with puppets and dolls if it's presented correctly. I mean, but Billy is creepy. The Night of Living Dummy uh, from Dead Silence is creepy.
0: He's very I mean, creepy.
2: I mean, dolls are creepy to begin with. The Goosebumps?
0: Night of Living Dummy?
2: Well, dude, that's what this doll looks like in Dead silence. Totally yeah, he yeah. looks just like yeah. it. <laughs> and, you know, uh, and of course, Annabelle from The Conjuring, just he really knows how to I mean, I guess I don't know if it's that hard to create a creepy doll, but something that like, you know, just goes into your mind. And just like won't leave. I think that's an achievement.
0: My daughter is obsessed with Annabelle and she's never seen it. She just sees the puppet and she's like, I remember when that movie, when Annabelle came out, uh, my daughter and all of her friends wanted to go see it. And, uh, you know, there's a couple, of, it's just, just the image of that doll, you know, with I think that age, especially like a 10 year old or nine year old girl, uh, I guess nine year olds in general, like, Every time she sees the Blu-ray, she wants to watch it. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. I've met the doll. Yeah.
1: It's real unsettling. <laughs> <laughs> like even after seeing Annabelle the very lackluster film on its own, that doll's still really unsettling yeah. to be
4: around.
0: Totally. Did you get there's a YouTube video yeah. of uh, a bunch of supposed uh haunted dolls? Did you guys see that?
4: Mm-hmm. I think
0: it was posted over at Bloom House. Was it Bloomhouse that you posted that? From, uh, yeah. Rob? Yeah, I watched yes. that today during work. <laughs> it's pretty terrifying stuff.
2: So, um, alright, dolls. Uh, dolls are fucking creepy. Um, and then, you know, he takes a little break and then comes back with his, like a south by southwest and it was kind of mixed with the reception guy and you know he made a pg-15 horror film that doesn't feel like a pg-13 horror film um created a a movie that was loved by many and it it's half and half it seemed and i was always pro insidious no matter what and i argued this movie to the death basically because um, I was always like, Insidious is definitely one of the, the better horror films of the, of that year. Um, and I, thought, I I think it's very very clever, w- w- you know. Because I think, uh, well, I know uh, Lee L is a, a fantastic writer. Um, he he really knows how to um, not make just an ordinary. Uh, Horror film. Because you look at Insidious now, because Insidious two and three come out, so we get more of kind of the the universe that is built and where the movies were going. But just take the very first Insidious film, and you have the story of uh, the child that is that is in the in the, in the film, and you know the whole thing is, um, you know, was it Dalton? Dalton isn't. Um, it's it's not your house that's haunted. It's your son. Ooh, that's creepy. But you have to think of it in such a way, and it's never really blatantly said in the movies until we kind of get into uh, you know later in two. But look how clever Insidious is on its own. And it doesn't get the credit, is that in the film, the ghosts are never ever there for Dalton. They're there for our uh, you know, um, what Josh, Josh Lambert, Patrick Patrick Wilson's character. Because he has Mm -hmm. these memories suppressed. All they're doing is they're kidnapping basically the son and trying to get him to remember the horrifying events that happened so they can actually get to him. And I think that's fucking clever as shit. It's never really said in the movie. Like it's never said until like in the sequel, they kind of hint more at that. And really, kind of solidify that that's, you know, where they're going. But it's never said, hey, we're ghosts. We're actually here for him. No, I thought well, that's
1: that was super clever. Well, that's why it's clever.
4: so
1: it's so smart because so many horror films today, I think, are so worried about the everyone in the audience getting it that everything is kind of presented on a silver platter, like there's no like ambiguity at all. Whereas even to the last frame of the first Insidious, it's like, oh, wait, well, why why is the lady in his photos? Why? I don't understand. Like, and that's uh, just why don't more people do that? I mean, it just yeah. shows why he's great. But but any other director or production company or whatever would be like, um, you need to explain this before the credits roll. And yeah. have her like look at the camera and be like, "I'm here for you" or
2: some dumb shit. Right, right, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I mean, the only thing that I do agree with uh, people on is that Insidious does lose a little bit of steam once they go into you know the the further uh, D- Darth Maul's um you know layer. <laughs> <lair>. oh, <yeah. laughs> you know, I, I I do agree, but you know, hey it's either near or there. I can't take one scene out of a movie and say that it's bad. Uh, I mean, because sometimes one scene can totally change a movie for you. Um, mm-hmm. Or e- even an ending of a film can make a f- the whole film great because then you're like, Oh shit. Like that's cool. And then you think back and you're like, Oh shit. It led up to that. That's awesome. But that's how I felt with Insidious. Like once it ended, it gives you that, you know, also it doesn't have, Uh, an ending, a a, a satisfying conclusion. It ends like the fucking ring does where it's like, Mm -hmm. Oh shit. What the fuck is, Oh my God. Like, how am I going to go to sleep tonight? Like nothing's okay right now. Like Mm -hmm. I have no idea what's going. Josh is possessed. He fucking kills somebody who knows what's going to happen to the family. The ghost fucking one. Like, Hey, the boy didn't go through an exorcism. That's different because that's what we're all expecting to happen. You know, and I don't know. I think Insidious is carried in such a way, and I I know people are listening like, oh, Brad, you're full of shit, and that's fine. But I, I, you know, Insidious to me and Insidious 1, 2, and 3, I think is a great trilogy. Um, And I think Insidious 2 is way better than Insidious. Um, and, I
1: really liked Insidious 2. I loved Insidious 2.
2: Yeah, and so I think Insidious Two is a lot stronger because it also kind of dives more into. Now we have Origins of the Ghost, which I think is cool. Uh, also, you have this, you know, parallel story of Josh Lambert being possessed and and, and going through those motions. Um, I I, just, I think the whole film is is the, those two films are, are very clever. I do like the third one. But it obviously goes in a different direction, leaving the Lam- Lambert right. family. Um,
1: yeah, I don't, I don't but, hate the third one. I do like though that it's a film that's focusing on, you know, Lynn Shay's character because how often do you get a horror film that is focusing on oh, a no, it's great. protagonist that isn't a twenty-five-year-old
0: girl? Yeah.
2: Right. Yeah. We have you know an elderly lady basically running the show and kicking ass, which is not really seen or heard. Yeah. Of. And it's about time that she actually gets a lead role
1: But really, it's like, God, finally, yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, But I I, I truly think Insidious 2 is is another great film. Um, And then, you know, he's doing The Conjuring in between these films. So he has Insidious, Insidious 2, and The Conjuring, and The Conjuring 2, all within a span of, what, like five, six years of one another? Mm -hmm. Insidious... In The Conjuring, you couldn't even tell, like, if you sat me down, I wouldn't be able to tell you that those are the same director. You have both films, um, or both, you know, one and two of the Insidious, you have one and two of The Conjuring, of course. Um, but Insidious is a lot more, like, in-your-face, jump scares, very much like the 80s 90s. It takes that toll. The cinematography is really great he kinda of withholds that, you know, old school ghost story look. And then we have um the conjuring. Um what is happening right now? <laughs>
0: is somebody breathing? No. No.
1: It's raining outside, maybe that's it.
2: <laughs> that was really creepy, because we are talking about ghost <laughs> stories and shit. Uh... Yeah. Oh my god, I like heard it again. <laughs>
1: I don't. I'm not moving. I'm just laying on my. That excuse for a futon. No, like I'm holding the phone.
4: Hmm.
2: Is Laura Barnes on this call? (laughs) 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 Like only ten people probably got that joke. Um, So, and then we have uh, the Conjuring, which is very much. Like the seventies style of you know haunted house and ghost stories and hauntings and exorcism. and just right off the bat, you know, going back to Halloween with what My- what michael myers um is-, is in the film, we have of course the death of his sister in the beginning, but Michael Myers doesn't kill anybody for about forty five minutes. But he doesn't need to. The movie doesn't need that. It builds that sense of dread. It it makes you scared of what is to come. And with the opening in The Conjuring, we have the story of Annabelle, a side story that's not relation to the movie, setting up what is to come in this in this film. No one dies in the beginning of The Conjuring. We just have a story of Annabelle. In fact, aside from the ghost, No one fucking dies in The Conjuring. Like we have zero deaths in this movie.
4: Mm -hmm.
2: No, just a lot of scary shit. And just a lot. And we build and we're building and building and building. We have the title card come up with black background and yellow text with this fucking haunting sound. And then we have the family. You know, we go through the window. We arrive with the family coming down. We walk through the door, the kids are excited, and then what happens? The dog sits there and whimpers and doesn't want to come inside. And already we're like, fuck. The dog already knows, and here we go. And ever like minute after minute, it builds more sense of dread and we are terrified with this family because now we're with a bunch of little girls. We have a fucking scene in the conjuring where nothing is actually shown in a black corner and it terrifies us. <laughs> God, nothing it is is so scary. Nothing is shown in that fucking corner. There's no shadow. There's no movement. There's absolutely nothing. It is a camera at a dark corner with one of the best performances of fucking being scared. I've ever seen in my life. And it absolutely is fucking terrifying. That's what James Wan can do. That not a whole. I just heard something really loud in my ear, like a crackling. Um, Laura Barnes is totally on this call, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, what is that noise? I,
0: I don't know. I think I think it's you breathing into the phone, BJ. No, I
1: I'm like a like. You'd be able to tell if I was breathing into the phone. Like I'm <laughs> not it? breathing into the phone.
2: <laughs> okay. Dang, dang, Sean, you just I, got told. I think
1: <laughs> I honestly, you know, I think what it is is that it's like it's raining really hard, so it has one of those like like constant sounds going on. I think it might be that.
0: Gotcha. Because when you
2: talk, you're about? crystal, you're crystal clear. But like when you're oh. not talking, you can hear like that noise.
0: Yeah, I think that's it what sounds It sounds like it think, finishes, it's the
2: rain. So constantly just do like a really high-pitched like squeaky hum, so that way you're, <laughs> you're,
4: your microphone picks that <laughs> so, up instead of the rain. Okay. Um,
2: but, I mean, and then, and then of course we have The Conjuring 2, which is just relentless on scaring you, and really wants to visually just take... Cause in, the, in the original Conjuring, we have a lot of noises, creaking, a lot of music uh you know is the music starts and builds up we have shadows we have door slamming conjuring 2 is just like you know what fuck it we're just going to show you every we have three goddamn villains in this movie and we're going to scare you with each fucking one and it's like what the fuck like i could barely deal with fucking sheba the first one now i got to deal with three of these motherfuckers
1: i think the conjuring 2 sort of marries insidious with the conjuring one
4: yeah
1: in sort of their styles it's it's definitely got that in your face just god that fucking nun dude oh god um (laughs) but it has kind of like that in your face like here's the fucking nun similar to like the lipstick face demon but still has the sensibility of the first conjuring film so it's just it's a really smartly crafted film because it's real fucking scary
2: yeah, and, and and he and he builds that, but also another thing that really works for the Conjuring, and it's not so much an in insidious; it's definitely more driven in the Conjuring one and two, is that the story of the family. We have um, these kids. We feel for each one of those that like that relationship. We we'll, we feel like we're part of that family. The relationship and the uh, the dynamic and the chemistry between. Um, you know, Vera and, and, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, what's his, what, what's the Patrick Wilson? Name? Yeah. Patrick Wilson's character, you know, as, as Ed and Lorraine Warren, it's, it's beautiful. Like, it, it's really great. Like I'm, I'm not a believer in, you know, any religion or, you know, anything like that, but dude, the line where she says, God brought us together for a reason. And this is it. Like when they're in the basement and like shit's going down and she says that I'm like, Oh fucking Shit just got real. <laughs> You know, and it's just, um, and that carries over with the second one. I I mean, it's its own movie. There's no relation to The Conjuring, and The Conjuring too, other than maybe when he gets into, uh, you know, they tell a story, and there's that flashback of her having the the vision of him, and then we have maybe the picture of the house and the tree. That you know he, he drew uh, that was in the living room or the the art room when you actually see the nun, but it, it feels like it's its own movie at the same time. Oh, like yeah. we and and it totally takes the story of Ed and Lorraine and and their relationship and the dynamic between them and solely focuses on them for a good portion. Even though we're dealing with this you know Enfield poltergeist over in the UK, mm-hmm. we're getting more and more with them and um, just that just that relationship and um kind of that story of their building blocks and, you know, coming to kind of this end of them wanting to stop because of the things that they've been through, I think is beautifully done for such a terrifying horror film that we can, we can scare us, but we can also, you know, make us, you know, have this heartfelt, like when he sings, um, Uh, the Elvis Presley song,
4: Mm -hmm.
2: like that's such a beautiful moment. It reminded me of John Honks and Martha Macy May Marlene It's just like, he, he kind of just pulls you in with his lyrics. And, um, you know, it's obviously Patrick Wilson really singing. I read, which was even better. Um, but it's just, it's such a sweet little moment, um, in, in the film and does so much for Ed and Lorraine's character. Um and then it just wants to fucking scare you again. And I thought that was pretty clever because I don't know too many horror films that can make you feel for two people like that. And yeah, also because we don't really care about like honestly, I don't know if we care so much about the family. Like the family's there, they're being haunted.
4: yeah, I really it's, don't. It's no. not
2: like the family in the first film. Like we totally want to be with that family. We want to hang out with those kids. It's a beautiful moment. Like the story of the beach and and the, and the story behind that picture is beautiful, and everything about that is 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 a really good story. And there's great chemistry with the kids and everything. But with this family, they're just kind of there to kind of put this poltergeist in your face. And really, it's Ed and Lorraine's movie. Just kind of like how Lynn Shay stole the story, uh, you know, the movie in part three. They totally take them in the movie, and it's truly about them. And their relationship, but they're dealing with these fucking poltergeists on the side. And I I thought that was truly remarkable, too, because even though James Wan has done almost back-to-back four haunted house movies, each one is different in its own way. And we don't – we're possessed, exorcism. We're possessed, exorcism. No, it takes a different route each time. There's no exorcism in Insidious. It has a horrifying conclusion. And the second insidious we open it up for oh shit, shit's gonna go down, we're cool now, but something's gonna be stirring fairly soon. We have uh the conjuring, which kinda enters ends on itself, but also opens that door to that universe of like, all right, this is done. Hey, but guess what? The priest wants us to go check up, you know, up in uh fucking you know, Amityville yeah, and it's like, Oh shit. And then it opens on Amityville, which I thought was fucking brilliant by the way. I knew that was coming, but God damn, that was awesome. Um, you know, and then we open on Amityville and kind of have that same opening that we do with, you know, Annabelle, we have that story that's being told and then we're introduced to, um, you know, an entity that shows up throughout the film that is obviously steals the show of everything else. And is definitely one of the, the more terrifying uh, villains I've seen in quite some time, especially with the crooked man, which obviously is, it is a villain. in It's own sense. A, you know, for those who haven't seen the movie, we're not going to spoil anything for you, but I mean, our true villain is the nun in this, which did you know, I was reading that James Wan thought of that three months before the movie was supposed to be released. And they went and they reshot all that shit.
1: Yeah. I did hear that.
2: Yeah. Holy shit yeah and he it's
1: was a t- it's joseph Bashara's the nun isn't he hmm. who does all the music for it and then he's also the lipstick face demon
2: no almost- the, no the nun is a real real lady is it yeah yeah it's a i forget her Damn name it. but yeah i was i was looking it up uh, oh
1: no is, uh, is the nun. yes uh bashara is uh the one from the conjuring one and the lipstick face demon that's what it is
2: oh okay so um, then
1: he scores yeah. He scores all of his films, too. Which I also am, like, that's the other thing that a lot of people aren't paying attention to as well, is that he uses real people in creature suits, which shouldn't be a big deal, but is a big deal.
2: Yeah, especially where these ghost stories are heading, is that we're so, with the floating apparitions and, you know...
1: Right, we're so used like to that. getting these, like, CGI, like, glowing bullshit... And instead, he's like, no, we're going to keep it old school. We're going to do makeup. Sure, some things are enhanced
2: with CGI. Right, right. But for
1: the most part, they're people in suits.
2: And that's the one thing is I'm watching, you know, The Conjuring 2. And when the crooked man shows up, I'm like, man, fucking bravo to James Wan using stop motion. And then it's like, you know what? Hey, it's not stop motion. It's actually a dude in a suit. And I'm like, no, really? That's insane. It really is. Like, that is truly remarkable. I mean, obviously, that guy's been in, um, you know, numerous horror films. Yeah, he's in Wreck and Yeah, and, you know, obviously, he has that body to where he can, you know, do crazy shit. But to move like that, to move so robotic um, and to move in such a way that just gives you chills, even without a suit. Because there was that, um, you know, because he, he's played Mama and Mama. And there's a lot of, you know, CGI and Mama. But there's that footage that they released. I think it was on the Blu-ray of um, him in the suit moving. And that movie... Oh, it's terrifying. That's a lot creepier than the... I don't have any idea, but it's like James Wan saw that. And he's like, you know what? We're going to fucking use that. And we're going to get you in a suit. And that's going to be a lot creepier than any CG that we could possibly do. And... um. Yeah, I think the only probably enhanced was when the dog kind of manipulates into the crooked man. I think that's Well, yeah, where,
1: that has to be.
2: Yeah, that has to be. But other than that, man, I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing and also feeling at that time. Like I was expecting to enjoy The Conjuring, but I wasn't expecting to watch a horror film that was so remarkable that also... Touched on you know films like Turn of the Screw, Legend of Hell House. Um, there's an obvious, really badass shot referencing The Shining, which is fucking fantastic. Oh, it's so so unsettling. And like he just he he bar- its not even that he borrows. It's just that you can watch a movie and and show because I mean Tarantino does one thing—he directly takes characters, he takes sequences, he takes dialogue. Uh, from his favorite films and kind of turns it into his own, which I appreciate because he's giving love to these films that are obviously forgotten about and lost. And, you know, definitely people can discover from, from his film, but you watch something from James Wan, like the conjuring and the conjuring Two, We have like, I just feel like I'm, I'm so familiar with that type of work that it makes me feel like I'm watching a movie from that era. It makes me feel like I just pulled like, because what I would do is I would buy, um, you know, I told this story multiple times, so I won't go into too much detail. My mom would buy me box lots of VHS tapes when I was little. Um, and so the summer I would have like, you know, 100, 200 tapes to watch. Like, she would just buy these box lots off of eBay. And it would remind me of like picking up something like Legend of How House, um, something like that, and popping it into the VCR, watching it late at night, and, you know, really enjoying the cinematography, enjoying the film itself. Um, maybe not enjoying the film, but enjoying the look of the film. It, it, watching his movies makes me feel like that again because it feels like I'm some, something that's so familiar. Um, cause even watching the first Amityville film, I think the first Amityville film is entirely so terrifying. It's, you know, people are like, nothing happens. Well, that movie has a great build up, a sense of dread. It has great leads, great chemistry with the family, especially with Josh Brolin. Um, you know, is it Josh James? James Roland. James Roland. Um Josh is the kid, right? Josh is the kid. Josh is the son. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. James James Roland. Um but it that just emulates and pours so much into Juan's work and his love for cinema and cinematography in those films that, you know, if you slapped the corny cliche grain on these films, I would watch it and think it was a film from that era. Like that's how cool. Um, and like, I I feel cool when I watch his movies and you can't really say that about too many filmmakers watching movies. You're like that movie is cool. But when I feel like I belong and this movie belongs in my life, that's a pretty cool feeling. And not too many filmmakers can make me feel like that. And James Wan is obviously one of them. So
0: wow,
4: yeah, wow. I'm
1: on the same. I'm on the same page. I think that he's, you know, a, tr- a true tour de force, and all that he's doing. Um, and it's. I've been very interested to see how the separation of him and Lee Winnell has been, um, as far as like story storylines go. It seems like. You know when James went off and did Furious Seven, it gave Lee time to do things like Cooties and the mule, and it's just really interesting to Which me are to both see fantastic. oh, they're great, they're absolutely the great.
2: mule is fucking so fucking good
1: yeah, no i I fucking really, really, really loved it. Um, but I think that those are two of the best you know voices right now in the genre. And they both you know kind of came up together and i I'm hoping that at some point they they reconnect, but oh,
2: yeah hundred um,
1: I think that you know the two of them combined is they're just they're unstoppable, but the fact that we have somebody who has three you know bona fide franchises mm-hmm. to their name. And he's really only been out since, you know, 2004, really. Obviously, he's been doing stuff before then, but that's when he, you know, skyrocketed right, to fame. but
2: in fucking 10 years, creating that much, like, that much buildup and just that much fucking coolness is kind of unheard of for any filmmaker. Yeah, it's... Unless you're Brian De Palma.
0: <laughs> but even De Palma has his low points.
2: Yeah.
0: That's true. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oof. yeah. Woof.
2: But I mean um, and then and then you have um I mean because we're totally forgetting about Furious 7 which now he's taking over a franchise. Well, I mean he abandoned part 8, but to do the Conjuring 2 thankfully. But um
4: Yeah.
2: You know, good he choice. takes takes on the Furious 7, which I know a lot of people like Furious 7 and I am a huge fan of kind of the Fast and Furious franchise. I think they're fun movies. I love the chemistry. I love the family aspect of it. I I love how goofy action they are, but I was really looking forward to Furious 7. I know that Juan had some hiccups, obviously, because some awful things happened, uh, during the production of that film, which you can't fault him for that. But, um, you know, the one thing I can see, I wasn't a fan of Furious 7, but it shows me that Juan can do some fucking action. Like, oh,
1: absolutely. He has
2: an a death sentence, but it's more of like a DIY mm-hmm. like exploitation look of the film. Like, oh, that's cool, but Bill Lustig did that, and a lot of other people have made films like that. So, like, you're you're doing great. Your mo- movie looks good, but nothing too extreme. But I think with Furious Seven, kind of the crazy action uh, bits and sequences that Juan did. It makes me, I know now that James Wan can pretty much handle anything. I, I, I Honestly, you said a monster movie. I kind of want to see this dude kind of do a drama. Like a straight up like, family drama.
1: Well, if he did a family drama, <laughs> I mean, all you would have to do is look at how he created the relationship between Ed, Lorraine Warren, or the relationship between, yeah, even the you know, the father, the father and daughter in Insidious. Oh, uh, not Insidious three, because he didn't write that one. Um, but like the I have to get well, just off the of family, just a,
2: just the family in, in in The Conjuring. We yeah, have the, we have the, a great the first dad, one, but I I, I really
1: well, want to see him do something. Too, well, the other thing too to even address, which is also kind of seems like a, a moot point, but is very important is he also can work very well with children. And when you think that's about true, yeah. Carpenter or Craven or any of them, yeah, they'd have, you know, little Tommy down the street, but they're like kind of bit parts. He is making films that are centered almost entirely around children and that's and their hard. and their performances. Yeah. And like, that's hard enough to do when you're not making them walk around scary ass monsters. Um, I, I interviewed uh, actress's name is Kyla Deaver. She played April in the first conjuring, so she's the littlest of all of the kids. and she said in her interview, and mind you, she's like six years old, so you know it was a pretty pretty fun interview. Um, but she was talking about how he, he made it a point to safely introduce the children to like the lipstick face demon to all of the creatures that were. Or not the lipstick face demon. I'm so sorry. Uh, God, what is its name? The witch.
2: Oh, uh, Bashiba? Yeah, Sheba. Thank
1: you. Gosh, my brain. It's late. Um, he introduced the children safely to Bashiba by being like, here's the process. This is how it works. Um, so that they would know to act scared, but not, you know, actually traumatize children, which is awesome to me. I think that it's, it's really important that. You're showing that you care that much about your cast and their well being, especially with children. Um, but yeah, that's, that's an incredible accomplishment in and of itself is that he manages to pull horrified, genuine horrified reactions out of children, which it's yeah. hard enough, I think, to get genuine horrified reactions out of adults acting in horror films. Yeah, We've all believable. seen. Right. We've all seen plenty of them where we're like, oh, God, just just close your mouth. You look like an idiot. And he he gets it. He gets it right.
2: Yeah. No, I I, I agree on that. And a lot of his basically all his movies of these ghosts and goblins and stuff are based around uh, children with the, with the leads and supporting roles.
1: hmm. Yeah. So he's the man. He's awesome.
2: Yep. You know what, really, I could, If for anybody that's doubting, rewatch The Conjuring and watch just the sequence, just fast forward, if you've already seen it, if you haven't seen it, watch the whole movie, but just fast forward to the sequence when they're actually going back to the house after she kidnaps the two kids, and Ed and um, Ron Livingston's character go up to the door and listen to the music that's happening at the same time. And the door is locked, and the cop goes to grab his shotgun from his trunk and cranks it and shoots open the door, and that tracking shot follows them into the house behind the cop after he blows open the door. And the fucking strings that are just blaring from that soundtrack, like that right there just shows that James Wan is one of the best filmmakers to do that shot, to have that sound. Like it truly grabs you and just pull like that scene just grabs you and pulls you in. And you're like, Holy fuck. Like there's just so much going on right now. And it's not jumbled. It's not too much. It's not busy. It's just very well thought out, processed and contained. Because that's one thing with soundtracks and horror films, they can get a little too busy and kind of throw you off into another direction or kind of turn you off as well. But James Wan listens to that music and he knows what's going to work and what doesn't. You know, and whoever all the people that he's using I mean, what's the guy's name? Joseph What? Bashara. Yeah, his the strings that that guy does on oh, these soundtracks—they're they're ridiculous. It's horrifying, and The Conjuring Two not using strings, but kind of using this fucking like monk church type thing. Oh my god! Like when that title card pops up, I'm fucking pissing on my seat just <laughs> from the text. Nothing's even happened yet, and I'm yeah, like, his
1: music gives god me goddamn severe anxiety. I have like all of these different like horror score playlists on my computer when I'm writing. And I have a tendency to skip over the stuff that Joseph Bouchard does. Cause it makes yeah, me so to scared to concentrate. and nervous.
4: I It
1: really rushes my adrenaline and I get like, even thinking about it right now, I know I'm about to go to sleep and I'm probably going to have nightmares tonight because I'm yeah. going to have those goddamn strings in my head and I'm going to pee myself. It's so scary and effective. He's so good.
2: Well, that's just the thing is that we um, you know, because Willow fucking she thinks The Conjuring's one of the best things ever. So she always wants to watch that when we have nothing else to watch. So of course, as soon as The Conjuring 2 comes out, that's what she wants to do opening night go, even though there's going to be talkers and she knows that she's like, all right, let's do it. So you know, the whole Amityville opening pops up. You know, she jumps a couple times, she squeezes my hand during the nun. Everything's cool. The title card pops up with the music. My fucking hand is losing circulation because she's squeezing it so damn hard and nothing's actually happening. <laughs> and I'm like, good God, Willow, like what are you gonna do when the fucking nun pops up again or something else? But no, she squeezed the tightest when that music hit. And I'm like, God damn, dude. If like, I love that that is so effective on people. And I I, I don't know if I said this, but I watched, um, I showed Willow, the original Halloween. My daughter's 11 for any new people that are uh, listening. She's 11. I let her watch Halloween for the first time just a couple, you know, a few weeks ago. And she jumped. She jumped twice, and she gripped my hand really tight. She didn't grip my hands through the other films or wasn't scared. But the very first Halloween – She gripped my hand tight and she jumped. And I was like, God damn, that movie has the same fucking effect as it did in the seventies. And that's remarkable. And I really think that James Wan is on that same track with stuff like, um, death sentence with saw with the conjuring Two, the conjuring, all of that. I think he's on the exact same track to become that, that there's going to be, I mean, we're have a podcast on him, of course, But we're going to be talking retrospect in 20 years of this guy's career and what he did for that, um, you know, that that group of kids that's growing up that, you know, those those moments that. Yeah, I'm, I'm
1: telling you right now that you talk to me 20 years from now and I will talk about the Saw sequels the same way that some people talk about like Halloween six. Like, that's what's going to (laughs) happen. No
2: one talks about Halloween 6.
1: Some people do. (laughs) Even if it's, like, an ironic, I love this, blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm going to be that person 20 years from now that's going to be like, you know what, I saw this movie when I was 19, and this is what it meant to me. Fuck you, kid, you don't know. Like, that's what's going to happen. Like, I am that age. And then, like, my sister and my little cousin, who are a little younger than me, they're going to be the ones that are going to be talking about... Insidious, And then, you know, Willow and, you know, her age group, they're going to be talking about The Conjuring. So that's three generations of people that are all going to be talking about those films 20 years from now when they're older. That's crazy. Because if you look at, you know, his... Like, the people that came before him, like Wes Craven, for example, the people that were responding to Scream and the people that responded to Nightmare on Elm Street are not the same people. Like, obviously, the people who saw nightmare nightmare on elm street at like their peak age they revisited scream and it was like oh yeah this is cool this is you know a tongue-in-cheek kind of exploration of what we love but they had Freddy first like scream was kind of a monster for like ghostface was kind of a, a killer for a new generation and james wan has three franchises for three generations that's nuts. And he's not even 40. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. I mean, look at Carpenter from 1978 to just 19, uh, 1988, just 10 years. Look what the guy accomplished. Yeah. It's, he, he created, it's he created crazy. some of the best horror films and some of the best action movies, um, out there. And then, and then again, that's exactly why I, you know, have that comparison with Carpenter and Juan because they're both on the same track. They're both doing movies that they really want to do and also creating this universe that is unique. That's giving us these characters that will forever hold on to. And I, I think that's fucking cool as shit.
0: Agreed. Uh, yep. All right. We got to wrap up.
1: Yep. Yeah. It's late.
0: Um, we could go one and one. <laughs> Jesus Christ! I'm just, sitting here, I'm just sitting here listening, it. listening to you guys. And I'm like, I got sorry. I got nothing. We're, we're, it's 1
1: uh, a.m. our time, so you have no excuse, Mister.
0: No. Up up Mr. Pacific
1: time.
2: Hey, we're like just it. really passionate about these things.
0: It's all good. It's all good. I'm having fun listening.
2: I just I just hope, like, I know that there's a lot of eye rolls with these movies, and especially Sidious, and people don't see eye to eye, or they don't get the feel or the vibe that Juan's putting out, but maybe give the movies another chance. Look l- look, at it that aspect, and I, I hope that you kind of see it that way. Maybe revisit Juan's whole filmography, and you'll kind of well, see the direction where he's Im- going.
1: I think that's important, you know, kind of our our comment about looking at these films 20 years from now. And that's why I think that he's just like Carpenter and why he's just like, you know, Craven because a lot of those movies didn't get great reviews when they first came out. People didn't understand them. And then you look at them 20 years down the line and they're these just, uh, they have obsessive fan bases and they're reviled as these masterpieces. And I, that's what's happening. We're just because of the internet, we're just now aware of it.
0: Yeah. I I feel like The Conjuring 2 is his most confident film for sure. I wanted to watch the first Conjuring to kind of compare, but I mean, they, they feel like more, you know, like Insidious, like Insidious is a little, little bit more like, I guess rock and roll and Conjuring would be a little more classical, like a little more, you know what I mean? There's like a little, he separates each of his little franchises with different nuances and The Conjuring series seems to be a bit more about you know some gorgeous cinematography some re- like there's some really great like we talked about in the conjuring but in conjuring 2 there's the uh, stuff going on in the house and the camera kind of goes through the windows and follows certain kids i think this is near the beginning of the movie right when all the kids are introducing each of the kids
2: yeah he's got some great tracking um, shots with and then fucking kids man
0: yeah and then there's the scene in the alley by the house you know as they're running towards kind of the basement area in the back you know characters are running Run by there, the way the camera works there, like he's using the camera a different way in The Conjuring than he is in Insidious, or you know, going back to Saw, like he he has a lot of, uh you know, he's gonna he only he can only get better, you know, and uh, yeah, so so yeah, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan for sure, but I think I just he's hope
2: he doesn't leave horror,
0: yeah
1: same, or if he leaves, he has
0: to come back. Well, hopefully Aquaman just sucks, and then he'll come back to horror.
2: I definitely want to see him do other movies, but I definitely want him to be Carpenter and just keep coming back off and on and doing his own thing. But I I really want him to make the movies he wants to make, but I do want to see him branch out. Yeah. But I definitely want to see his back in the horror setting, and maybe not do another ghost movie, because I mean, we've fucking done but i really wouldn't mind another one with the warrens so as long as it continues maybe with the warrens well, the warrens are I'm great good. like
0: that that's the great through line and that's what i liked about these conjuring movies they both felt like different films you know with the warrens kind of playing a part in each one but they weren't yeah they feel unrelated like in C- these movies it gets a bit exhausting because everything's connected um these the conjuring films if it's just case files from the warrens for the Conjuring films, I'm all in. It's great. Yeah, I mean, so I'm much totally in. To mine.
1: I do think the Warrens are crooks, but I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd rather hear his interpretations
0: of, right, right. Well, of they their for case good, files. They make for good stories.
1: Oh, sure. yeah, and that's that's why they are who they are. But nice. Go James Wan. Go team. Yay, Australia.
0: Oh, Yeah. Alright, uh, we'd like to hear your guys' thoughts on James Wan and the Conjuring 2, of course. So drop us a line. You can leave uh comments at the bottom of the page if you're on thescreamcast.com uh, on the show. Let us know what you thought. You can always send us an email, read me at Um we're extending our uh Sean's Box of Porn uh drawing. I I got like one person entered. <laughs> so I'm so disappointed
1: that I can't enter.
0: Nobody wants to give embarrassing stories of being caught watching porn. That's all I'm asking. It's fun. Come on. Give us a story of a time you got caught watching porn, unless all of you are super sneaky and have never gotten caught at all. I doubt it.
1: Next show, next show, if we get at least five entries... I will tell my story on air. about am
0: not watching
2: for hey, it. Not, not to be a dick, but do people really think they're going to get it since we haven't shipped out the last shift? Oh, <laughs> shit.
0: I got to get you those addresses. Uh, and all of you who uh, won that, uh, I apologize. I suck. They're coming. They're Sean coming. sucks. I gotta. Get, I just got to email these goddamn addresses over to Brad, and he, he can send them it's out. It's
2: not even that hard.
0: It's not. I just.
2: You could, you could just, you know, text me.
0: I forget. It's going to happen uh, very soon. <laughs> All right. Um, so, anyways,
2: just enter the end of the drawing so you can win porno. Yeah,
1: yeah. for real. And I, I'm dead serious. If we get five more entries, I'll tell my story. It's a
2: doozy.
0: Awesome. All I'll right. tell
1: mine. I'm good.
0: Okay. Um. Of course, oh you know, check out our sponsors, go to thestreamcast.com slash sponsors. They're all right there. It's getting late and my brain's not working. Uh so just go there and check them all out. Uh give some extra special love to Grindhouse Video. Buy your shit from them if you want to buy a movie.
2: Cheaper than Amazon.
0: Totally.
1: Hell yeah. All
0: right, and of course, uh thanks to one of Net for hosting our show. We will talk to all of you guys next week. Oh, oh, if you want to donate, uh, leave a little, put a little change in the tip jar. We'd like to pay our writers on uh, the screencast.com. So you can always go to screencast.com slash donate or go to screencast.com. Just click the donate button. You can do it through PayPal. I haven't done Patreon yet. I'm still on the fence of a Patreon. Um, but if you want to be able to, you know, give a couple bucks a month or a one time little donation or whatever to the show, um, that'd be awesome. All right, we'll talk to all of you guys uh, next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Oh, don't tell me you're leaving. The party's just begun.
2: I got some diet orange soda and a Star Wars glass. Nice. I feel like a grown-up.
1: Are we including Fast 7 in this?
2: yeah i think we should well okay. because what i'm gonna say you'll see
1: oh jesus okay
2: <laughs> oh my god what does that mean
1: i because i don't know what that means is what it is <laughs> oh my Makes god me, you make me nervous <laughs> oh my god
0: <laughs> uh, that's amazing okay